Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Times. Really excited for today's guest. This is the type of guest why you start a podcast. So we found our white whale. We've got him strapped down. We're going to talk his ear off, hopefully, for the next hour here. So today's guest is a four-time Ryerson Athlete of the Year. I think that's an all-time record still. Four-time OUA All-Star, three-time All-Canadian. He was two-time OUA Player of the Year. And, of course, with all that, he's a Ryerson Hall of Famer. He went on to play for our indoor pro and with our indoor national team before joining the beach where he represented Canada at world championships. He's got an Arsika silver and of course a bunch of provincial nationals and was a fan favorite on the NBL. Please welcome to the show, Ryan Vandenberg snake. Thanks for doing this, man. Finally got you on the show. (laughs) Calm down. Calm down. I'm here. I'm here for a little while guys. Calm down. Well, thanks for doing this, buddy. I I mean, white whale is that you said white whale. Is that because I'm so pasty white? <laughs> I mean, I've been living in Florida for a couple of years now. I got a little bit of tan. You are the one of the pastiest beach guys out there, which I have a ton of respect for. So. <laughs> <laughs> So I know all about your career and obviously we're going to get down into some stories here, but just for the listeners, uh, just tell us what it was like growing up and where you played club. Cause I understand you kind of grew up, uh, kind of like Quinte West, like maybe Belleville area. Like you were growing up a little bit in the East end of Ontario, right? Yeah, man. I mean, to be honest, I didn't, I, I didn't know much about volleyball growing up. I knew to be honest, quite almost nothing. So, you know, when I got into grade nine, grade 10, I was maybe the shortest guy in my class. I was only five foot seven. Uh, no lie. I have, I have a yearbook picture to prove it and the uh, bold cut from my head as well. So um, between grade 10, I played on the um, quote unquote var- volleyball team for high school, but this is like single a, and if you can serve over the net, you're winning the game kind of thing. And um, between grade 10 and 11, in two months, I grew one foot. So, and I didn't gain a pound. <laughs> it took another 10 years for me to start gaining gaining some weight after that but yeah I mean between 10 and 11 I grew from 5'7 to 6'7 and um, there was the Ontario Regional Games and um, one of the two of the guys that were from my high school they had tried out the year before and my high school coach said hey why don't you go try out for this you're really tall and lanky so I went and tried out and I actually ended up making the team. And from that, we uh, our team actually ended up winning gold at regional games. And then the coach that uh, coached me at the regional games, he said, hey, why don't you come out and play for our club team, which was the Ganaraska Wolves. And that's how I started out. And it's, um, I mean, it was a pretty amazing club. We had uh, Hugh and Michelle Walters as coaches who were pretty legendary. And I played with, I mean, Jesse Mighton was with us and Jeff uh, Wheeler, who was a CIS Libro of the Year. Lucas Perosa, obviously. Lucas was, you know, one of the best hands out there for quite some time. So we had a really stellar team and we did really well. So, you know, you get to be a better player when you play around good players. That's so funny. I, I didn't realize you were such a late start in our sport and you went on to have such a great post-secondary career. So at what point did you oh, know? I thought, I thought I was good too in high school. I actually thought I was good. But then my club coach, uh, which is actually Andrew Hinchies, is, um, I guess, his stepfather. Um, he ended up coaching me. His name's George. Fantastic, fantastic guy. Absolutely incredible man. And uh, he told me years later, he's like, oh, yeah, you were just terrible. <laughs> but your arms touched the ground while you were walking. So how could we not take you? 
<laughs> so when did you know college or university was going to be an option for you? Like, obviously you're doing well, you're doing well, at the regional games, you obviously thought you were good and, and obviously enjoyed playing volleyball. So when did you know that university volleyball was going to be a serious thing for you? Well, I was going to go to, I was going to go to loyalist, um, small town country boy going to a high school of 80 people. Actually the entire high school was 80 people. I mean, the first thing that came to mind was obviously Loyalist. A lot of the kids from high school went to Loyalist and I knew they had a volleyball team. Um, so in grade 12, I tried, they said, Hey, why don't you come out and give it a try? So we ended up playing, I played with them and uh, Brad Gordon was on the, on the team back then. And Brad Gordon was like, I think he won like CIS or uh, sorry, OCAA all-star a couple times. Um, see, maybe like can't CCAA all star. I think he did. I mean, Loyalist, I think, got second or third at nationals the one year. Yeah, they were quite and, good. I think he was there. I think Ellie Shermer played a year there when we had him on the show. Yeah. Uh, Joey Martins, I, mean, they, I think, is a Loyalist guy. Team. Like, yeah, they were they were solid. Yeah, so I went and tried out with them the year before, and I they're like, Yeah, okay, we can give you like the Ontario scholarship, which is basically giving you a couple dollars for <laughs> gas money. Um, but then I went to grade 13 because it was, uh, um, what was it back then? What was that grade 13 called? OAC or something like that? I think. OACs. Yeah, that crap. So we took OACs and then obviously I got a little bit better at volleyball and start, started getting calls from some U.S. schools and from out west and Dalhousie. And um, Lucas was playing with uh, my club team. And um, Miro was around a lot. Merrick Perosa was around a lot, obviously. said, hey, you should really consider going to Ryerson. Um, we know who, how you are with your family and stuff like that. So you should, uh, you should give it a try and go to Ryerson. So... And Merrick brought beer and cigars to my parents. So that sold my parents. <laughs> so uh, obviously like club volleyball and who you're playing with was really good, but I am curious, was the OUA a, a big jump for you when you entered like just that level of ball and how serious guys were taking it? And maybe there was guys as physical as you, like, was that your first time really playing against that level of athlete? Yeah, it, it took some, uh, there's no question. It took some getting used to, I mean, when I started at Ryerson, um, I think I was, I mean, I had gotten pretty good, but I wasn't that good yet. And I'll be honest, like the, I wasn't quite ready for it yet. I mean, I had never jump served until the day I went to university and you know, I've, I don't think I've ever float served since then other than on the beach. I mean, you either get an ace or you miss and I missed a lot, but, um, no, I mean, my biggest struggle for Ryerson for my first half year was um, just getting, it was obviously the consistency and getting used to it. But the biggest problem I was having uh, was um, just getting accustomed to the teammates and stuff like that is that I think I was oversold a little bit going into the university. There was an article in the newspaper that said the chosen one and all this kind of crap. And God, I wasn't LeBron James. I was more like, I don't know. Like, um, I'm not a, I was definitely not a Devin Booker. Think, think like a low, I was like bold, bold. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I was really tall and I was really long, but I sucked. So it took me a while, a good six months to get used to it. And then, you know, it, 
you, you I figured it out. I figured out, you know, how to hit high and how to hit deep instead of into the block every two seconds, how to actually serve over the net when jump serving. I mean, there was flashes of good stuff, but it was getting accustomed to it because you know, there was some animosity with me and my teammates early on, but we, you know, you figured it out. And by the end of, you know, about three quarters of the way through the year, we kind of figured it out. And then, I mean, we barely missed the playoffs that first year. We we were, we needed, I think, York to lose in four or five or something. And they ended up winning in three to make the playoffs. So it's funny that first year there we had lost to Queens early on and Brenda Willis, we lost to her. And one of my buddies who was actually the sports writer back then, he sent me an article like two days ago and it was of Brenda where he got quotes from Brenda about like, he asked, he's a hey, Brenda, do you, would you, you know, would you be concerned meeting them in the playoffs? She's like, no, they're one in five. They suck. It'd be great to meet them in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it might be tough to pinpoint, but I am curious, did the mood change around Ryerson when you guys started to get a little bit stronger? Like, obviously, you started to develop and some new guys joined the team. But I'm curious the timeline there. Like, I feel like Binstock's U of T team would have been pretty good. I think York was pretty strong. Uh, Mac yeah, maybe wasn't quite there, Miguel. but like Sean Bench, yeah. I think it just entered and Herkel like that era. So Mac was kind of on the on the rise. Obviously, Queens has always been pretty steady. Like, but but I don't know if Ryerson was really in the conversation until maybe your second year when it became like a a bigger thing, right? Yeah, no, without question. The year before the three years before I came, Ryerson had won like three sets in three years in OUA play. They were by far the worst team in the country. Like they sucked. <laughs> <laughs> there is no question. They were horrible. How Merrick still had a job through those three years. I think about it now. I honestly don't know. They, they must've really liked, you know, the Polish side of him or something, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, they were just horrible. And then even in our first year, we had a decent team. I mean, we had Anton, we had Sasha Simic, um, who had been an all-star. Uh, Mike Nesty, big 6'8", six, 6'9", six, middle. He was a better player than me, no question, in his in first year. Um, he was, like, highly recruited, and he, for some reason, went to Ryerson as well his first year. So, you know, it was a little bit of a fresh air to win some games, obviously, in that first year. And then second year, we started, yeah, turning it around, made the playoffs, lost first round. Um, and then third year really took off. I think third year we went like 16 and four or something like that. And I think we got up to like top five in the country in the CIS standings. But yeah, it was, I mean, back then it was like um, Mark Arsenal. Mark Arsenal was a superstar, obviously. Mingo Miguel, he played for um, York. I can't believe I remember these names, to be honest. I drink, I've drank a lot between now and then, so... But I still remember our first year we beat, we, I think right after we had lost to Queens, that Brenda story, we played Toronto just before Christmas break. And they were like number four in the country at the time. I don't think, I think they'd only lost like one game and we ended up beating them in five. And that kind of was a big turn to start starting the turn to get the wind column going kind of thing. And then it kind of flowed from there. We started, we won a couple of tournaments, won the York Excalibur tournament a few times, which was 
huge for Merrick, obviously. It was a huge, it was a big tournament back then. Yeah, like they're obviously like out of province teams come in, but I, I imagine in your era, did you ever have to play against like Penn State or some of the other teams that would come in? Like I, I think Laval would always be there, Dalhousie. Like it was always like a, a pretty top tier yep. tournament. Yeah, we had Dalhousie and Laval there um a few times. Laval for sure. I mean, we 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 matched up really well against Laval because we were just we were monsters in the Vals, obviously known for being highly defensive and not necessarily the most offensive, but I mean, our lineup like was like six, seven, six, eight, six, ten, six, nine. I mean, we were just so overpowering of them. I don't think we ever lost a game to Laval, to be quite honest. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, your era of Ryerson playing in Kerr Hall there, how fun was it? <laughs> Because that that is home court advantage because you guys were so physical and that was probably the lowest ceiling in in the OUA at that time, right? So you guys are playing the balls a little bit bouncier. I think it was still the bottom. Like, was that just fun playing a home game and just knowing you guys are going to be like just super aggressive, athletic dudes just pounding balls? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's no there's no question. I mean, it was barely higher higher than my living room ceiling that gym. <laughs> um, so I mean, <laughs> it was awesome. Obviously, you know, once we figured out the type of team we were, which was you know more showtime than anything, is you know we would literally warm up while teams were walking into the gym, just standing there. We wouldn't jump, and people would set us, and we'd standing spike over the net, just a row of us against teams to intimidate. And then obviously, when hitting lineups started, we just roof balls over and over again. And I mean, it was so easy because the roof was only like 20 feet high. We also got like so many aces off of that roof because, you know, you couldn't play the ball off the roof like the American system. So, I mean, padding stats were fantastic in <laughs> Keir Hall. <laughs> so you're, you're not a big bragging guy and you don't bring up your resume, but doing research for the show, like when you look back on your career, how cool is it to be? like four-time male athlete of the year at Ryerson to be an All-Canadian, like especially in your era, because we were talking before the show, man, there was so much love for Canada West in your era. How was it being an All-Canadian in Ontario knowing that like, yeah, Dallas Sunius is good, but your name's coming up in these same conversations, right? Like did that give you any credibility for your play or just did that give you any pride being an Ontario guy knowing what you had accomplished? I wouldn't say being a guy from Ontario. I don't think that really had anything to do with it. I didn't care if I was from Ontario, if uh, you know, or if I was from Alaska. It meant really nothing. You know, I was I'm a different person now than I was back then and I was definitely a, a lot more self-centered back then where, you know, it was for me about, you know, getting the accolades and winning the awards and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I was a cocky back in the day there's no question about it hey everybody knows that i mean i did the showboats shit all through my second year where i was pointing to the sky and doing all that stupid stuff but i mean um did i take pride in it yeah i mean i was beyond hungry every single game to pad my stats as high as possible to win you know have the most aces in in the in canada to have the most kills and the best hitting percentage in canada i was starving for that because i just wanted to be the best all the time did it have anything to do with being from ontario no but all of that obviously leads to oua mvps and cis and i look back now and i mean now it, 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 I'm, I'm i'm an old fart getting a beer gut slowly and it just really doesn't matter because at the end of the day 
one of the things I could tell young guys is, you know, personal accolades are cool and stuff like that and looks good being in the newspaper and super flashy, but I got no banners. I mean, I mean, McMaster and Queens got all the banners. They, they really did. And it's what I, would I change things or would I rather looking back, would I say, okay, maybe I could have gone out West and got a couple of national medals or, you know, maybe, you know, I could have gone to the States and did something a little different and got a different thing. I wouldn't change a damn thing because I had a rock star university life. It was friggin' amazing. I don't remember half of it, but damn, it was good. <laughs> but at the same time, if I look back, I would be like, if I told these young guys, it'd be like, your wars are cool for a second, but I don't got a banner. I mean, Ryerson finally has banners on the wall now because better teams, better coached teams, um, people that are more committed, obviously, to the sport. It had nothing to do with being from Ontario, though. I mean, I didn't care about that. I just wanted to be better than all those other guys. I guess the point of pride thing was I want to be better than the guys out West because the guys out West were the superstars, and I wanted to prove, you know, put them in their place. And I never did. I mean, they always ended up beating me. And when we went to national tryouts and stuff like that, they got picked and stuff. It might have been better if I played for one of those out west teams that had a better opportunity to make it, be more focused. But I mean, they probably had a great university life. I had a really great university life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let, let's go there with the national team because I think we're spoiled a little bit with what uh, Glenn's achieved and built. And obviously, Stefan Antigua was there coaching, and we have Benjo now. That uh, you going through the Stelio era, that was a little bit different. But I am curious when you were out there battling at tryouts, like we brought up Dallas Sunis's name. I'm wondering, like, was Alexander uh, Casayas, like the I know he's a Quebec guy, but he was playing at U of A. Like, there's a pretty good athlete who was an outside hitter, like. Who were some other guys that you were lining up with in drills that you were going to have to take a spot, let alone like the older guys like Terry Martin and the other established guys that were already on the national team, right? Yeah, those guys had re- moved on kind of thing at that time. Um, so you, oh man, you put me on the spot. I can't remember too much. I mean, First name that always comes to mind is Nicholas Cundy. He was a rock star. Um, a little bit shorter, but man, he was good. Like just unbelievable. To be honest, there was a, I can't remember. I'll be honest. There's a lot of Alberta, Trinity, Western guys, Manitoba guys. Um, Toon Van Lengveld, I forgot. There's one name I forgot about. He was fantastic. And it was awesome battling with these guys. But they also ran an extremely different system than we did. Um, where for Ontario, it was set snake high and just let him hit over the top. It's It's easy scores every single time. And they start. They had already started to change the fast system. So when I went out to national tryouts and stuff like that, I was stepped behind because I'm not used to this fast system and stuff like that. And I, I mean, I, I told them like uh, I told the national team coaches, I mean, more time. I, I think I can be at this level and exceed. But they had guys already at that level, ready in. You know, they were. I mean, again, they were fantastic athletes that were completely committed to the sport. So. I can't hold anything against anybody. I mean, I had a good time and stuff like that. It was fun, but you're right. I mean, Glenn had just come in at the same time. I think I was in third or fourth year at the time, and he just started to establish that system. And, I mean, he picked his guys, and his guys stayed with him for 10, 15 years, and look what they accomplished. It's 
fantastic. I mean, they put Canada back on the map. I would have loved to have been part of that process, but you know, everybody, I made my choices and that's where we are. And again, I think we're spoiled where, you know, guys like Marr and Riley Barnes, they were getting good contracts out of university where in your era, that wasn't a thing because the, the strength of the national team wasn't there. So obviously European agents weren't even looking at, at U sports or CIS at the time. So what was it like oh, getting, no. getting an agent and getting that first pro contract? Because like I, I bring up Stephen Marr and Barnes, but like even Paul Durden didn't get a top tier contract and he was our guy for so many years. Right. So what was it like being a Canadian wanting to go play pro? Oh, it was it was tough, man. I mean, you'd hear a lot of horror stories and I'm not sure if it's still like this today. I'm sure it is in certain places. Um, but I remember, um, like, I think it was Jesse Mighton. He was a big middle, really good player. He went to some, uh, I don't know, like East middle Eastern country or something like that. And I think Jeff Wheeler actually was with him at the time too. And we hear you the story, these stories of guys just not getting paid for like three months and then they have to bail because their team just decides they're not, they have one bad game and they're like, oh, we're not going to pay you. And they, they, they say, peace out. You're not getting $10,000 all of a sudden. So you hear these horror stories. I was actually supposed to go to Poland. I had a uh, Polish agent that I got through um, my Polish connections with Merrick. And I was supposed to go to Poland and play there and everything was in line. And then I don't know what happened. I can't recall anymore, but at the last second that fell through and it would have been awesome because Poland was such a amazing league back then, maybe second to second or third to Italy, Italy and um, Russia. So it was a huge thing and that fell through at the last second. So I ended up going, to, I signed, I didn't even really have an agent. I had Mike Chalupka, who was again, a huge national team player, superstar back in the day. He actually helped me, secure a contract in Denmark um, because I didn't know what I was doing back then. I mean, coming out of university, there wasn't very many agents out there uh, representing Canadian players. And so I just picked him up and he said, okay, I'll, I've been through this. I played pro for 15 years over here. I, I'll let you help you get through. And he got me the contract and I had a great experience. I mean, Sean Powell was in the same league as me. Um, Sean was, I mean, Sean's, um, just a buffoon like he's an insane player so Sean and I were battling it out a lot of the days he was on the top team we were on the second team so he ended up beating me in the big games which sucks <laughs> but I mean it was nice there was a couple of, we had I had um, Scott Townsend who was a starter setter for um, Dalhousie on my team that one year a couple of American guys so it was nice I mean at least we had some guys from this side of the uh, ocean that could, you know, help with the communication and stuff like that. But we had, I mean, it was fun. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. I'm glad you, you had a good experience. Cause you're right. Uh, having done the show, you, you hear some horror stories of guys not getting paid or even uh, uh, I think it was when we had Dustin Snyder on the show, he kind of talked about like the illusion of professional volleyball. And what he means by that is like, it's not professional. Like he got recruited to a team and the coach didn't want to run his system. It's like, why did you sign me if you weren't going to do what I'm really good at? So when you got over there, like, did you find that they were hitting like the tempo set that you wanted? You were getting like the, the starting time you wanted? Like, Oh, I, oh yeah. I mean, I, I was, I mean, the Danish league was fun, super fun, but I guess, you know, I would relate it to like Ontario volleyball kind of thing. I mean, OUA, it was maybe a little bit better than OUA, 
but not all that better. Maybe Canada West stuff sometimes. I mean, it was a lot of fun. We, but we got to run our own system because the guy that was coaching us, um, he kind of let Scott Townsend and uh, the guys on our team, we kind of, he ran practices and all this stuff, but when it came to the tempo setting that we're running and the, you know, the plays we're running, we kind of ran it ourselves. So um, we, we were fortunate in that case that we kind of run the system that we wanted to run to make it work for us. And we won a lot of games doing it that system. And Sean absolutely pummeled us the one game. So um, in the championship final, and I, you know, it comes down to coaching. And he he also had a really, really good, strong team. He had a bunch of the Danish national team players on his team as well. So, I mean, but yeah, we we I had a ton of fun. It was. Um, uh, Den- uh, Denmark was really cool place to live. I mean, we play our matches and then hop on the train to Copenhagen and party all night and all morning in Copenhagen. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. You could drive, drive to um, uh, Germany in a couple hours to get cheap beer. So that was our level of professionalism. <laughs> now to, to jump ahead when you did choose to come home and before I really like uh, thought of you as a beach guy uh, I just want to give a shout out to Mike Sleen and Steve Delaney and I think it was called the OVL at that point where you're playing with the Ruffies and you're playing with uh, I think Chalupka was on that team Steve Delaney yeah. uh, George Lubachek and a couple other like uh, McBride I think was also setting like that was a real that was yeah. basically a pro team playing but we're well, you're all Canadians who have full-time jobs and you're playing against Sleener and the Blues Brothers like was that really helpful knowing that you could still get out get a sweat you know play serious volleyball even though you were like a starting to be a nine to five guy oh yeah i mean we're at that point you're playing with like players that are way better than any player you've probably played with i mean you think about delaney back then when i'm delaney would have been 30 i mean 30 years old you're just you're in your prime still I mean, you're you're a stud. Delaney's still jumping 38, 40 inches back then and peeling the skin off a ball. I mean, he's not the guy kind of guy you want to line up against. Chip is the same. All these guys, I mean, Mark Roberts was on that team. Shout out to Mark Roberts Fitness, get strong, 40 over. <laughs> um, uh, Jeff White was on that team who I get Jeff White is six ten guy that just destroyed balls. I hated warming up by the way with Jeff White because he always hit so freaking hard that you can never dig it up when you were just playing pepper. Super <laughs> annoying. But these guys were superstars. I mean, they were all every single one of them were all Canadians or all Americans. All of them played pro for five, 10, 15 years. So like I was playing at a level with the Rough Riders that almost I had never really played with. I mean, we ended up getting called our team. The Rough Riders got called to play against university teams, and we actually played in the York Excalibur. Oh, I remember that. The, Jap- the Japan team didn't show up, so Wally was Wally Daibo was desperate for a team. He called our team up. We hammered everybody, and then we lost in the finals in the fifth set to freaking. That's the one time I lost to Laval because James Baddison decided to set forward backwards instead of set forwards. James Baddison, don't ever set back. Ever. That's why we lost. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's gotta be a great feeling where yeah, literally I think Wally wanted the perfect schedule was eight teams and they had seven and they called you guys up and you're beating on teams who actually like practice and train for this, right? <laughs> 
Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I know for a fact we were drinking before and after every single match without a question in the gym. I mean, we had KFC on the bench. So, I mean, it was a lot of fun to just absolutely destroy these kids that think they're all cocky and top 10 in Canada, blah, blah, blah. It was, yeah. I mean, it's, it's your playing in the glory days kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. One thing that I always thought was super impressive about the Ruffies was the level of play that we just talked about. It basically was a professional team playing in Toronto. But the other thing was the amount of fun you guys had. And it was the little things, right? Like the, the shirts off warm up. If you guys made finals, uh, what was the big tournament in the USC called? Like the Doble, I think. Like, what was it like playing at such a high level? But like, obviously, a fun loving guy like you, you must have just enjoyed being around the guys, right? I mean, I was just I was just thinking about it, honestly, and the the good th- the best thing about the Rough Riders is even to this day we're a family. I mean, I can still remember when I st- first got called to come uh, try and play with the Rough Riders. I think I was like twenty two or twenty three at the time, and it was such a huge thing for me. And to this day, I mean, I'm still talking to these guys. So the Rough Riders were actually just at Nationals in Orlando. I'm living here down in Florida now. So I actually drove up to see them. And it's like, I haven't missed a beat with these guys. I mean, because we are a family. I mean, I played with them for 10, 15 years. I played with them more than any team I've ever played for in my entire life. So, I mean, these guys are your brothers and they honestly are some of the best guys I've ever known in my entire life. They would do anything for you at the drop of a hat. They've always, they would always be there for you. That's a, you know, the sentimental good side, but we like to party, man. We had a good time. And I mean, we were really freaking good at what we did. And we obviously like to have a really good time. The double was the best tournament in North America. I mean, we go to the, every, that tournament driving a 40 foot RV every single year. And every year we would dress up in costumes and man, we were the only team that did it. I mean, ever the first game we always played, we come in and I mean, we did Star Wars. We were dressed up as clowns one year. We did Christmas. We did old people the one year. Um, we did the 300 movie theme the one year. I mean, it was epic, epic memories, epic times. And I mean, that RV, I mean. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, I do want to pick your brain a little bit. What got you hooked on the beach eventually? Was that uh, Hinchy's doing? Like what made you kind of commit to and go full speed with Team Canada Beach? I didn't really ever go full steam, to be quite honest. I mean, I always had a full-time job. The great thing about the beach was I could train when I wanted. Um, I could do it my own way. I mean, yeah, they were, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a team carded. Like, uh, so I was kind of paying my own way with a lot of the stuff, but I had flexibility. Right. So I could keep on playing volleyball, which I absolutely loved. I loved winning. I loved traveling. I loved, you know, being on the beach. I mean, I don't know why more people aren't doing it today. I don't know if it's the let's go play pro and make $20,000 a year and say, hey, I play pro in Europe. It's cool. I mean, it's, yeah, sure. It's kind of cool to say for a couple of years, but you aren't, won't for, 95% of the guys, they aren't making a life doing it. And now it did help that the Toronto, the um, training center was in Toronto. I lived 20 minutes away from the training center. 
So, and I had a great partner that was in the same situation I was with Hinchy and later on Aaron, obviously shout out Aaron. What's up, buddy. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I got to travel all over the world and play cool, play beach volleyball. I mean, I got to hang out on beaches and they play, paid for my travel half of the time. They paid for my hotel. What idiot wouldn't want to go to Mexico for free? I mean, I played all, I played for years trying to get on, you know, to go on the Norseco tour, tour just to go to Cayman Islands once a year. The Cayman tour, tournament was amazing. <laughs> Now, the, the one season I do want to get your thoughts on, because uh, I was joking with Hinchy when he was on the show. It was either 09 Hinchy or it was... was on the show? We had Hinchy on the show. He had some great oh, God, stories. you really are sandbagging. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you guys had a heck of a summer where I was working at the OVA, and I just joked with you guys being giant killers, because I think the one year at Nationals, did you not beat Redmond and Rich, who were having a big year <laughs> on tour by, like, Canadian standards? I think, did you beat Martin Reeder and Kane? They were a young team, but, like, uh, you played some really good teams, and, like, you were... For, I don't mean this as a negative term. You were an OVA level team beating national team guys and beating like Canada one, Canada two. Dude, we sucked, man. I mean, we were okay at best, but I mean, we never really trained ourselves at that point. We just played for fun more or less. And we played a lot of tournaments, but we didn't actually like train with the national team at that time. But that was, yeah, I, there's no way you remember that. I'm guessing Hinchy brought that up because, you know, <laughs> highlight of his life kind of thing, playing with me and beating Redmond. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a fun tournament. I mean, again, I mean, Kame and Reader were still a bit younger at the time. I mean, Kame's a superstar on the U.S. Uh, tour AVP now and, what, two-time Olympian, I think? Two times now? Uh, one, because I think he had to sit out the last one as like an international transfer fee or whatever, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. band. But uh, yeah. with the way it's going now, he'll be at the next Olympics for sure. Yeah. I mean, he traded from Canada to the U.S., so he's a bit of a trader. But I can't say much since I live in the U.S., so I guess <laughs> I'm kind of a trader too. But uh, no, I mean, that was, yeah, that was one hell of a, a tournament that Nationals we beat Kame and Reader in round robin, which was a huge surprise. And then we ended up playing Redmond and uh, Rich. And that was, that was the year they got fifth at Worlds. Uh, they had just came off their fifth from Worlds. And, I mean, it was our – we got lucky, to be honest. They weren't playing their best ball. And all we did is go back to the service line and hit the ball as hard as humanly possible. I think uh, George – um, Hinchy's stepfather said after the game, you guys missed 15 serves, but you got 10 aces. So that's the only reason you won. Um, <laughs> because we weren't the better team. I mean, we were talking Rich Van Heusen and Redmond. Redmond's legend, obviously, so is Rich. And yeah, but yeah, we ended up beating them. And then I think we ended up seeing Kim and Reader again in the quarters or something like that. And we're like, ah, we just beat these guys. We're going to beat them again. And they crushed us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that was that kind of I guess that kind of kicked things off where we could say, you know, maybe we can do something more than just be a bunch of slouches on the beach. Now you guys really earned your way into being fan favorites on the NVL. So just tell me and the listeners what it was like playing on that tour because I understand, and we do have some American listeners, and we love you guys, but sometimes the Americans aren't the friendliest to Canadians, especially when you start going down there and you start winning prize money. So how did you guys feel like you fit in, and did it take like winning one of these tournaments or being in a final or a semi to kind of earn some credibility? Like being like, who are these two lefties from Canada that are all of a sudden winning games? VL Tour 
to start was because of Binstock. Because Binner and Sam were playing on the NVL at that time, and they were the only Canadian team allowed on the NVL. And I can't remember exactly what happened. Binner couldn't go or Sam couldn't go to the tournament the one time. And so there was an open spot. And Hinchy was obviously really tight with Binner too. And he said, hey, can, can you get us in? And Binner basically said, I'll talk to Hanneman and get you guys in kind of thing. But I swear to God, if you screw this up for us, I'm going to kill you because he was winning every tournament. I don't think Binstock ever lost an NBL tournament. I mean, and that tour was dope. I mean, it was so much fun and there was so much prize money. So we got fortunate that they even get on that turn into that tournament and that first tournament we played we ended up playing i think 14 games and we won it so that's where we got our credibility <clears throat> to stay on the tour but at the same time andrew hinchy is the nicest human being to a fault in the world which i hate sometimes because you just want to slap him and stop tell him to stop being so nice but how can you hate hinchy he, he, I mean, that smile will, will like calm a, calm a feral kitten. So, I mean, Hinchy kept us on the tour with his beautiful smile, obviously, and his nice attitude. And I mean, I couldn't say, I, I mean, I can't say one bad thing about 99.9% .9 of the players on that tour. I still talked to some of them. I play with some of them still. I've played with them since. I mean, I can't say one bad thing about any of those players on that tour. Everybody was like a family on that tour. It was pretty small. It was pretty tight knit. And I mean, we all, you know, everybody trash talked and everybody got in, you know, quarrels here and there, but nothing that a few beers can't fix after the tournament. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's really nothing bad I can say about that entire tour because I mean, we had such a blast on it. Everybody was so kind all the time, but you know, it also helps that, you know, we also went out of our way to try to help the tour as well. I mean, you know, we fan favorite. I don't know if we were fan favorites or not kind of thing, but you know, we go out, we tried to go out of our way to, you know, help set up the courts or take down the courts or, you know, meet with the fans when we can and, you know, make a lot of noise and trash talk and have fun. I mean, that's just kind of the Canadian way, you know, be nice and kick ass. <laughs> now, obviously you had success on the Norsega tour. Like you got a couple medals. I think you had, uh, I think you took a semi or higher in like half the Norsegas you played in, but I am curious what your experience on the FAB was like. Cause I think when we had Hinchy on the show, you guys just missed like your very first qualifier you ever played. I think that was the Quebec city tournament. It, that was maybe your first oh, yeah. time playing for Canada, but like, what was it like, like just missing by a hair to play in your first main drop? I mean, we, you say we missed by a hair, but we got our asses just handed to us in that uh, last round robin game it was i can't remember what the names were i think they were brothers or twins or something like that crew i don't know I think it was the say brothers from france remember. or something I, I think i i can look it up but anyways but you had to survive a, a canadian country quota to get there and like and you had to win the i think it was a one or two round qualifier so you had to win games to get to that point too right yeah i mean it was 
we we didn't know any better kind of thing back then. I mean, you were just a bunch of stupid guys that were drinking a lot and playing beach and having a blast. And all Hinchy and I's game wasn't like some like structured analysis by any means. We went there, served as hard as we could, pounded the ball as hard as we could. And every once in a while, we got some defensive stops. I mean, I, I probably blocked more heads balls with my head than I did with my actual hands. But I mean, that's just kind of how we played. And I don't think we really, I think maybe looking back now, we're like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'll be honest, we didn't make the main draw. And if you don't make the main draw, nobody cares. I mean, even if you make the main draw, half the time, nobody cares. So I guess it's a cool story. And the, the best part of it was I got some cool FIVB jerseys because I never had an FIVB jersey that was my own. It said Canada on it, which I took a huge amount of pride in. Playing for Canada was always my my dream growing up. And, you know, for any young guys that are listening and stuff like that, you're crazy to not go try out and play beach and stuff like that. And in Canada, it's the same team that Sidney Crosby plays for and all these other legends. Yeah, that's hockey still beach volleyball, still volleyball. I mean, you're playing for candidates. You can't, it's the highest honor you could ever have for any athlete in the world. I mean, anywhere you are. Brazilians, they're not going to say my highlight is playing pro. They're going to say playing with the national team. So. Now, one other cool experience you got to be a part of was, uh, Canada had an internal trials one year to go to world championships and you were obviously working full time and you had played with uh, Aaron Nussbaum that year. What was it like going to a trials and winning the right to represent Canada at the, at the biggest tournament? Again, kind of the, the story of your beach career right now, not training full time and you just come in and take over this internal tournament was, it was such a battle that year too. I still remember, I'll, I'll never forget that because it's one of the highlights of my life, obviously you know, playing and winning that that um, trial. And I mean, should they have done the trial? I don't know. I mean, looking back, I would probably have said if I was in the position of like, um, I think we ended up playing uh, Grant and Mike in the finals who had played some, um, they had played some world tours at, and had a bunch of world tour points. I mean, looking back, I would be like, if I were in their show, they'd be like, this, this is bullshit. Like, why the hell are we going through this internal tournament and stuff like that? We've been putting in our time and stuff like that. And, you know, we earn, we should earn our way through just, you know, us going on tour and struggling and, you know, spending all this in of our own money to try to, you know, get here. But they did do this tournament. And Dan Deering, thank you for not playing in that tournament that year because you're the one guy I did not want to play because you owned Hinchy, sorry, Hinchy, but he owned you. Um, and I mean, it was, it was like the perfect conditions for us. It was slightly rainy, overcast. Um, the sand was a bit hard and stuff like that. And, you know, we just got into a position where we got to play Grant and Mike in the finals. I can't remember who was all there, to be honest. I think we, I think both our team and Grant and Mike kind of coasted into the finals kind of thing. I think it went to three and it was a bit, I think we ended up winning 10, 15 or something like that. I mean, Grant, Mike, absolutely love you guys, but we won. So sorry about it. <laughs> yeah. I remember it being weird weather. Yeah, it, was, it was a highlight of my life, man. I, I shed a tear. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I mean, 
I, I don't cry over. I didn't cry when I had my kid, but I cried when I, 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 had, I had tears in my eyes when I won that because that was by far the biggest thing that had ever happened to me. I got to go to world championships to play for Canada. I mean, who gets to do that? Nobody gets to do that. Well, that was, that was going to be my next question is not only do you get to go to Worlds, but your pool, you got to play against Ben and Kame, another Canadian team there. So that would be the fun <laughs> battle there. But the cool match I want to talk about is you're in Vienna, Austria, and you played against Doppler Horse. Like, how cool was that? We have videos still from that tournament that we'll put on where the camera's shaking because the crowd's so loud. Like, the Austrian fans can really get after it. So what was it like making your World Champs debut against the host country? So... Was it our first game? No, we played Cayman. We played Cayman Ben first. Oh, okay. And um, we honestly, I mean, we were good, um, but Cayman Ben were just that little bit better. I think they beat us pretty good the first set, like twenty-one fifteen, and second set I think it was twenty-one nineteen. Um, we thought we could have won that game. I still think we probably could have won that game, but I mean, they they are a very good team. So not taking anything away from Cayman Ben, they're. Fanta- both fantastic players that played for years and stuff. Um, Kim obviously is still is a superstar. And uh, I mean, so that was a good, it was a good warm up match for us. Um, but Doppler Horse had just come off of a really tight game against Iran and they almost lost. I mean, they, their first game on center court, Iran took them, I think, till three and it was really tight. So we thought we would have a good chance against them. Um, so we, we had a good game plan going in based on, you know, what their last game had been with Iran and how they were playing and walking into, I mean, we walked into a stadium and I, I still watch those videos. You have literally 16,000 people just going absolutely bonkers. It was, I mean, the only thing I could compare it to is like, uh, like a a uh, Team Canada final for World Juniors or something like that, where everybody's just nuts, going just crazy. I mean, we didn't understand what anybody was saying, so they could have said anything. They could be <laughs> talking about my mom or my dad or my dog for all I know. So that kind of helped. It, it, that's an experience that is what you work your entire life for. And they pummeled us. I mean, they beat us down. I still remember I was like, at the end of the game, I was like asking them, giving, calling them to serve me the ball kind of thing because they were beating us down pretty good. But um, I mean, you can't be, you just can't beat that experience ever. Yeah, we lost. I don't remember the losing. I remember the experience and it was something you will never, ever forget in my life. And the, the other thing I wanted to pick your brain on is a guy who did play, uh, Kind of the golden era of Norsecas. And what I mean by that is the prize money was good and, and Canadians got a lot of opportunities and, and you got to play in some cool places. But the, the stories that came out of this. So usually we end the episode with one funny story, but I, I got to pick your brain because like you said, you got to go to Cayman Islands, which is like the top tier in Norseca, which is awesome. But you've also had to play in like Punicanda and the Plaza and some other places where like you're some of the funnier Norseka stories I've heard, like MC LaPointe told us one where the courts were beside a school and the kids would get out for recess and they would like stare you down on the court being like, you're, you're in my space. Like you're interrupting their time. Right. So, or uh, just the chaos that's happened on some of these tours, the disorganization, like you try to show up early and there's no venue, like there's no courts ready to play. (laughs) (laughs) That's happens to this day. I mean, every single time, I mean, Games are supposed to start at 9 a.m. and they don't even have a court laid out yet. There, there's literally nothing there. 
I mean, there's usually you get there a couple of days before to warm up and get used to the courts and stuff. Uh-uh. That never happened. I mean, there are so many stories. I mean, the Norseka tour was run by a different guy back then. Um, and he definitely favored some of the teams that were not from Canada and U.S. So he definitely made hard, it harder for Canada and U.S. because Canada and U.S. were better at the time and you're way better funded than a lot of the other teams and stuff. But, oh, man, there's so many stories from Norseka. I mean, we were playing in the semis in St. Lucia, and I found a 90-inch blade in the middle of the court while we were playing the game the one time. That was really cool. I've, we have, we had goats that ran onto the court one time in the middle of a match. Um, I've heard, there's so many stories about uh, games that it was supposed to be 21, 21, 15. And then in the middle of the match, they said, Oh, it's going to, we have to speed this up. Okay. It's going to all of a sudden be one set to 21 and this game's half over kind of thing. (laughs) Um, We've seen like night matches where they had to pull cars around and put the lights on the cars because they decided to not delay the game. They want to finish it. So obviously let's just throw a couple car lights on there. Um, I've heard the, uh, the story of the court that fell over the one time. So the guy was welding the net while the game was going on because the court kept falling over. I mean, Norseek was legendary. It's still, I'm sure there's still some legendary stories. You're staying in play in some really sketchy places too. At times you, you lock the door and you put a couple chairs under it too, just to make sure that nobody's going to break in. One of the best stories I have is, um, it was just before it was just after Canada had won the Olympic trials and it was the Norseka trials to get into the Olympics and it was Martin Reeder and Christian Redman and Ben Stock was playing with, I can't remember who, but as a team, as those four, those two teams put together, they had just won, uh, I think it was in Dominican, they had just won the Olympic trials for Canada. And the, they won in the golden set too, so it was a huge deal. And then right after, literally like a day after, they were jumping into the Nurstika tournament. And Binstock and his partner, I can't remember who it was at that time, they took off and Reader was playing. And uh, because Reader didn't play in Norseka trials for um, the actual tournament, we were seated, me and Hinchy were seated Canada 1. And Canada 1 got a free hotel, but Canada 2 didn't. So Reader, who just won the golden set here to get Canada a spot at the Olympics, he's like, I literally just got into the Olympics and you guys are going to make me pay hundreds upon hundreds of dollars for my hotel. And the coordinator's like, yeah, I mean, he's like, Rita's like, listen, I'm a good looking guy. How about we make a deal? I'll take off my shirt and I will shake hands with anybody you want me to. I will do whatever you need with my shirt off. As long as you get me that hotel for free. Got that free hotel. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many classic Martin Reader stories where I absolutely need to get him on the show because everyone's got a reader story. That's that's another fun-loving guy who took advantage of the tour and, and definitely enjoyed life. Oh, yeah. I mean, Reader's fantastic. I mean, and, and again, he, he was a stud, right? So guy got, got 
to the Olympics. Maybe Rita was playing with Binner at that time. Hell, I don't know. I can't remember. Again, I drink too much. But I do have to ask you, like, the, the chaos there. Like, my understanding is when you found the knife, they didn't even, like, stop the match. They're just like, oh, it's just still a perfectly good knife. And then, like, you continue playing on. So, like, how are you preparing and playing for Canada on the inter- international stage? And, like, you're, you're right. The organization's an absolute joke, but you're still playing against, like, Triborn and John Hyde and an Ontiveros from Mexico. Like these are legit world tour teams that you're battling against in an absolute joke of a scenario. Like I'm looking at some of the Narcicas you played and like Nick Lucena was there, like an Olympian, right? So like, how are you battling with some of the best players in the world on a court that was like literally built that day? No, not only that. I mean, it was, you're lucky. Sometimes it was a beach. Sometimes it really wasn't a beach. I mean, we basically played on gravel a couple of times um, people were contemplating playing on shoes on a couple of the courts because they were so hard. And I mean, it destroyed your body. But you're like playing indoors sometimes. The one Norseca in St. Lucia, it was, I mean, it, it looked like I could jump through the roof because it was playing indoor. We were playing indoor on the beach, quote unquote, the beach. But I mean, everybody was in the, everybody's in the same position, right? It, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're John Hayden or if you're that little team from Trinidad and Tobago, everybody's playing it. And it's beach volleyball, right? There's nobody that's too big. There's a couple out there that are too big for the game and their head is too big for the sport. But for the most part, I mean, everybody's in the same boat. Doesn't matter if you're a two-time Olympian or a medalist or not, you're still out there, you're still playing and you're playing for the love of the game, right? I mean, you didn't have to come to this Norseca, and yeah, you can bitch all you want about it, but that's not going to change anything. So your goal, you're there with everybody else. You're there to win. And that's all that matters. John Hyden, by the way, one of the, I mean, one of the most competitive guys of all time, also one of the nicest guys of all time. I mean, true family man, super, super nice. Competitive, I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of his recent matches. I mean, he got into it with the Crabs recently. And I mean, super, super competitive, but I mean, the guy's an absolute legend and one of the nicest guys in the world. So, so cool to hear, man. We've you've shared so many good stories and obviously followed your career. It was so cool to get the behind the scenes. I do have to ask you one serious volleyball question. You, you talked about how you and Hinchy would just go for broke from the service line, but like uh, on the beach, we were just basically like joking around being like your spin server at one point was like basically hitting a sea ball on the beach. Like you were so far inside the court, you're hitting it so high, you're hitting wicked angles. What was your mindset back at the service line? Were you just like such a positive mind that you're like, I'm helping my team so I can go for it on serve. Like it's not a big deal if I miss like, were you ever worried about missing? Like, what was the mindset so you could hit like these winners from the baseline every game? You assume that there was a mindset. <laughs> I mean, there's your first problem right there is, I mean, there wasn't a mindset. It was throw the ball up and hit the ball as hard as you can because, you know, chicks did dig aces. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to lie. I mean, there's a reason Hinchy and I were, were tarps off 99.9% of the time. I mean, we were there to look good and hit the balls hard. And, you know, my whole philosophy was, you know, the other team can serve us, you know, crackerjack easy serves and stuff like that. And we'll pound the crap out of it. I, if I miss five serves, but I get three aces, I just gained three points. Yeah. I missed five serves, but I gained three points. So I'm now three points up. So that was my whole philosophy. Was it the best philosophy? 
Yeah, probably not. I probably should have hit a few more balls in. <laughs> I missed a lot of serves, like a lot of serves. But hey, it also helped us win a lot of matches. There's no question about it. So, no, I'll be honest. Every once in a while, Hinchy or Aaron or whoever I played with would go back and say, dude, you've missed four serves in a row. Hit a ball in. So, yeah, that obviously would have to play a part in it, especially when you got to, like, world tour level kind of stuff. But, I mean, we didn't. I didn't think too much about it. That's how we won our games. We would go for broke, and if we won, great. If we lost, shit happens. Nice, man. Yeah, well, we, we won more games than we lost on that philosophy. For sure. And that's kind of just how we how we played. Was it the smartest all the time? Nah. It wasn't fun and we won a lot of games. Yep. <laughs> well, man, this has been great. I'm glad we finally got you on the show because uh, I, I had, I had you know, got to see you play. I, I mean, you've told stories over the years. It was great to hear, but it was, it was good for you to, you know, put it on the internet and share it with the listeners. So I'm glad uh, we can take care of all these sweet downloads you're going to get us because all these amazing stories you shared. So thanks again for joining and sharing all you did. Oh man, we should, we, we need to do a part two of the real good stories. Cause I mean, we only talk, we talked about my career and that's lame. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear about my career. I got some really good stories. I mean, Maybe we should do like an 18A version of it. I think next so. Time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to like maybe like I don't know. It's like the uh, OnlyFans kind of like a passing times after uh, dark or something. Yeah, that's ooh, <laughs> an OnlyFans for volleyball stories. Where you have to pay to hear the real story. I mean, it could be something. I think it people could, could get on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> Josh's pleasure, buddy. 